Welcome to Tech Talk with Karamjit Singh of Digital News Asia. Just a bit of history, you know, Karam keeps visiting our offices here in Filio Damansara 1 in Kuala Lumpur, and he keeps talking about all things technology, engaging in very interesting discussions on the current affairs in the digital space. And so after a couple of months, we finally decided that Karam deserves his very own show. So you have it here, Tech Talk with Karamjit Singh. You're listening to Liron Mix FM, the science of building leaders. Uh, this is the inaugural show for DNA's uh, Tech Talk of the bi-week. Yeah, is there such a term? Because we're going to do this once every two weeks only for now. And I've got with me my uh, colleagues, uh, Zof Azmi Hello. and um, uh, Kiran Jit Sidhu. Wow, why did you hesitate? <laughs> Maybe she Call. has many. <laughs> So uh, this is Kiran is here also, and uh, we will. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of the more interesting stories we covered over the past two weeks, and of course we find all the stories are interesting, but we've got to pick a few because we don't want to have a half an hour or forty minute show. The plan is to have this podcast uh, like going for twenty five minutes. So Kiran, we'll start with you. Can you got a couple of actually you've got like four stories you want to share, but we'll start with the first one. Okay, the first one I have on hand is. Pitch in the ECF platform, the equity crowdfunding platform. Uh, mid of January, they released their past year review, so the 2018 review. I think this is the first time they're doing it also. So they're taking a leaf out of the IP88, you know, book, playbook, uh, to, to, you know, to, to talk about what happened on their platform. Because that's good right. publicity, right, for them also with yeah. media coverage. Yeah, so they invited us to attend their review session and and I learned some things about them also. So Excellent. they are the first um, crowdfunding platform in Malaysia, actually. They started up in 2012, Correct. when it was not legal yet. Yeah, when um, DNA started out also. We were legal, by the way. <laughs> so they were the ones that to get the ball rolling. Um, so this was shared by Sam Shafi, the co-founder yeah. of Pitchin. And they shared the 2018 results of how their ECF platform mm-hmm. performed for the year okay. as well. Um, one thing they said was there was a dip in the number of campaigns during the year okay. because of the elections that happened in May. Everybody's so, blaming the elections, man. So because of that, they said the ECF landscape saw a dip okay. because of the sentiment surrounding it. And the number of campaign, uh, campaigns declined from 22 in 2017 to about 14 last 14. year. It's a 33% drop. Okay, acceptable. But there was an average deal size growth of 50%. Uh, so people are... Because people are getting confidence in the platform and investors also. So you're seeing a rise. Uh, companies are beginning to ask for more money. So fantastic. Yeah, so and people are, I think people are willing to put in more money. Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. exactly. So they found like this mood or this general sentiment was not because people didn't have the money. Yeah. It was more like people are being cautious. Correct. And But then again, despite that, Sam Shafi said he, they managed to get some quality and record-breaking yeah. deals. So here's one prediction I'm going to make. I think... By 2021, if not earlier, you're going to see the cap of $3 million for you know uh, companies raising money on equity crowdfunding go up to $4 million. Mm. So that, that would really... Okay, I mean, it's sort of becoming becoming not just this this thing that you have to do when you have no other choice, yeah. but it's starting to sound that as if it's going to be... It could be a preferred platform, right? Yeah, it might be a preferred yes. platform. That'd and be awesome. What, what, what do the banks do in return? They'll probably organise their own. Maybe uh, banks will take sit up and take notice, then I guess. Yeah. Yeah. 
Take part in it or organize something. Or take a stake in a you know equity crowdfunding uh, platform. That, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, and also the report revealed that most issuer companies recorded higher revenues mm. uh, after a year or two of raising funds. Wow, that's significant, huh? Interesting. Yeah. So at least five of their issuers on the platform. So they 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 named Kakitangan, mm-hmm. Wob, the job okay. platform. Yep. My Cash Online. Q-E-O-S-L-E-D yes, and Signature Dr. Market Walter, okay. and Signature Market have raised their revenues by four times or higher. Unbelievable. That's like, can you imagine that's like a bank coming out and saying from all the, the companies we gave loans to, a year later, they all increased their revenue dramatically. You know, dramatically. This is 4x, right? That's un- unbelievable. I think they'll be saying, I should have asked for higher returns. So Correct, right? Should I should charge them more for my fees. Yeah. It's really good, right? It's yeah, like, exactly. It's four times, that's the, yeah, four times or more. Yeah. And also, um, well, the ECF platform also works as a way to raise awareness of of, absolutely, for themselves. Yes. So after the, the, them raising money the first round, after a while, other investors start taking notice yeah. of them. And then it makes it a bit easier, I guess, when they decide to raise funds in the yeah. second round, third round. No, it's beautiful. As someone who's been uh, monitoring the ECF you know, uh, ecosystem from day one, right? You can see articles that DNA wrote about pitching back when they started. It, it's a beautiful thing to see, to see the, the ecosystem growing. Mm-hmm. Last year was a very important year, and I think this year it's going to go... Uh, gangbusters. So, so when when Kieran goes, there were fewer the uh, uh, there were fewer made because of the uncertainty yeah. because of some people held yeah. back lah. Obviously, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe maybe take a little because I was also wondering. So what would make someone hesitate yeah. about? I mean, on the other hand, you seen s- still these deals are being made. Yeah. So there's that. So are people hesitant because they want to? They want a stable environment as it were before they, they launch is that what it is i think the 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 owners the, the entrepreneurs are just being ultra cautious because they feel that if the environment out there is is, is in a flux uh, potential investors will hold back and they they cannot afford that so they may be i think they add uh, they add on the side of caution they i think it wouldn't have been affected at all people want good companies good entrepreneurs to bet on right and these are not huge sums you're talking about you can put in twenty thousand ten thousand so Personally, I felt it was a wrong move, but you know, the entrepreneur, I'm not in the entrepreneur's shoes. So they, they've made the decision and you know, it's a, it is a um, not unexpected decision on their part also, right? You wouldn't, you're not surprised that they held back. So. And then those, those uh, entrepreneurs will be back this year anyway. Yeah, so what's in store for 2019? Uh-huh. They're looking forward to launching a secondary market for ECF. Fantastic. Mm. Um, once the Securities Commission of Malaysia releases the framework, which is estimated to be around first quarter okay so that's something to look out for um as for pitch in they said the team is just waiting for the green light Mm. to build the secondary market once they have the framework Uh, it will just take them a few months to get ready so they're hoping to have it up and running by the second quarter more excitement to come man yeah by by next year we'll have a lot more interesting things to talk about in the ecf and the other thing was also the budget uh, the 50 million co-investment fund allocated by the government yeah in the budget yeah so that that they believe will add more interest and liquidity to the ecf market as well so that should kick in like actually uh, you can almost argue that that money allocated is not needed anymore to help promote ecf right because uh is already going. I'm exaggerating by saying gangbusters, like Oh my god! I used the word twice in the podcast, and I'm so excited. But <laughs> it, you know, you you maybe don't even need that. That money can be allocated for something else. I'm saying. I'm just just saying. But I mean, the way Kieran says it, it sounds as if Malaysia is becoming an attractive place to. Absolutely. For, for that that maybe 
you know, uh, entrepreneurs from outside Malaysia should seriously be looking at Malaysia. Maybe I think let let's see how this year's performance go, and then maybe entrepreneurs from the region may say look at Asia. But people normally want to invest in a business that they're familiar with or they're comfortable with. So if you're an Indonesian entrepreneur trying to raise money here, I don't know. Indonesia is easy sell for us, right? Because it's huge upside in the market. I think Malaysians generally are bullish about how Indonesia will be 10, 20 years down the road. So maybe. Makes sense. Maybe not so much Thailand or Philippines or even Singapore, but Indonesia, I can see it possibly the entrepreneurs attracting you know money from Malaysia. So. Why do you have to switch channels? Huh? What me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, nothing to do with crowdfunding. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, a lot to do with securities. Commission. Yeah, exactly. It's a nice dovetail because you brought up the securities commission. They're waiting for regulations, yeah. and we can you know. Because another group of people waiting for regulations are those who are you know involved with cryptocurrencies. Correct. So. Uh, crypto tokens or um, uh, electronic currency. I mean, there are many words that yes. effectively mean the same thing. So what happened in January was that the Minister of Finance, uh, Lim Baneng, uh, came out and announced that oh well, we've passed this bill now. I've passed this order, and and which means that uh, cryptocurrencies and uh, crypto tokens will now be regarded as securities, yeah. unless, with the exception, if you are something that's issued by the government. So that, that's something else we can talk about, yeah. about later. But, but then everyone was saying, okay, what, what does this mean, right? What does this mean with, for the landscape in Malaysia? And the short answer is, we're not sure yet. Yeah. Because at that time, the Securities Commission hadn't really come out with what the regulations were. Yeah. The Securities Commission obviously being the regulator for anything uh, to do with securities. Yeah. Um, so in between then uh, and last week, yeah. uh, DNA... Uh, sort of reached out to various parties yep. who had some ex- expertise in regulating uh, cryptocurrencies or were involved in, 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 in the industry in Malaysia and we asked them what they thought of it. And in, I, don't, I, I prefer we don't use industry, it's ecosystem, right? Ecosystems. Industry sounds very old economy and it's not an industry, it's an ecosystem. You're right, right. it's an ecosystem. I'm Emerging right. ecosystem. Yeah, everyone tends to use the word industry and it's flat out the wrong term to use, I yes. think. Uh, it's a lack of imagination when I have to speak in front of the microphone. <laughs> but yes, ecosystem is a, is a better word for yeah. it. And, and the shot of it was um, everyone was on one hand welcoming that there would be regulations because it legitimizes yeah. uh, uh, what they do. Yeah. But on the other hand, cautious because they are obviously worried about over-regulation. Yes. Yes. So, so it's sort of like a like a thing that was in fine balance mm. and of course since that article was written um, the Securities Commission have come out and explained a little, a bit, little more. bit more yes. and, and obviously we will be we will be doing more articles on the feedback and response to yes. that um, uh, but uh, when I talked also with experts from outside Malaysia um, they, they pretty much said the same thing mm-hmm. they, they, um, uh, so I, I managed to talk to uh, somebody who was from Harvard, mm-hmm. uh, whose name slips me, Patrick Merck. And okay. He's a founder of Bitcoin Foundation. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. He said that uh, yes, you know, overregulation is 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 a risk. It's a risk. Yeah. yeah. You 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 cannot uh, hamper innovation. Yeah. So he says, you have to think about what blockchain was for mm-hmm. in the beginning. What cryptocurrencies are for. And you've got to make sure that that spirit, that idea of um, uh, freedom of participation, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea to him, the idea of blockchain is you can set up the system. Yeah. You can set up 
for example, mm. your own currency. Yes. And it doesn't have to be regulated, um, so it doesn't have to be um, controlled by one particular right. party. Yes. The idea is that we all have a stake in it yes. and we all um, can decide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if, if the Securities Commission uh, regulations are over regulating mm. it, then you stifle. Yeah. You lose that opportunity. Yeah. Um, and, and that was also something else that um, we, we also talked to Jasmine Ng from mm -hmm. EM Malaysia. Yeah. And she was also concerned that uh, Malaysians and Malaysian companies who have been innovating this space are moving out of Malaysia yeah. because the landscape doesn't suit. It's already them. happened, right? They couldn't wait for the regulations to come or they worried it'll be too heavy. Mm -hmm. And they're in Singapore now. A yes. number of them, yes. Uh, because uh, another person I talked to in Singapore was mm -hmm. a, uh, by the way, this man is a Fields Medal winner, and the Fields Medal is the wow. maths equivalent yeah. of the Nobel, Nobel Prize. Prize. Correct. Yes. I mean, it's a big deal. Big, huge. Uh, yeah. And what he has done was he has opened, he's, uh, he's now involved with a company mm -hmm. that's using his algorithm okay. on, on how to use blockchains. Ah, interesting. And he said he was, they were very happy to come and work in Singapore mm -hmm. because Singapore regulations are very clear. clear. Yeah, yeah. There is no guesswork yeah. and there is no, you know, like ambiguity, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ambiguity, right? So it's, they they liked that it was clear. He said it was like almost like a list of things they had to do mm -hmm. and then the Singapore government would recognize them. Yeah. And he said he loved it. And they you wouldn't even want to do it in America. Mm. And, and and because the way he says what he said mm. was in America what happens is you do something and then the American... Decide later whether it was the right thing to do or not. Yeah, correct. correct. So you sort of like dip your toe in yeah, the water yes, and yes, then yes. see whether it gets yeah, bitten yeah, off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, is it, is it right or not? Yeah, right? yeah. And he said that, that makes it hard. Mm. And, and I think the Securities Commission in Malaysia sh would do well to, to understand that. That greater clarity, mm -hmm. even at the risk, even at the risk that you might unfortunately misdefine something yeah. uh, would probably be preferable for innovation versus a, a very vague, vague. subjective okay, okay. definition where um, you know people are still uncertain mm. where, where they stand yeah okay interesting with that uh, we've, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with the second half of the show ever wondered what leadership is all about is it developed over time or are people just born with it? We believe there is a science behind leadership and we want to help you understand it. Take this journey with us as we hear from renowned leaders from all over the world over our range of shows tackling key spaces in different industries today. Leadernomics, the science of building leaders. Okay, and we're back and without wasting any time, Kiran's eager to go. She's got like three stories, you know, in the queue, but I think we're only going to have time for one. <laughs> so Kiran, which is the choice? Okay, so this is a story from our CEO conference hosted together with Leadronomics. Leadronomics, that's right. Yeah, and the title of my article was Data is the Gift That Keeps on Giving. So wow, this is a interesting story title. on data. Yeah, and the title of the session is Mining the Gold in Your Organization. How okay. to find the gold that exists in your company, extract it and profit from it. Long okay. title. Yeah. But the two speakers that were on the panel was um, the the co-founder of EGAN Equipment and Parts, Sinjaran Berhad, Nicholas Gunn. So he runs quite a traditional business. He's in the business of forklift, forklifts yeah. and yeah. Uh, other equipment. Wow. And uh, this other lady, Zihan Zahari, she's the founder of Copper Modern European Restaurant. 
Okay, one F&B and one, you know, a construction, right? Company in the construction value chain. Okay. Yeah. Um, and both of them shared about how they first mm-hmm. dipped their feet into using data to take their business further. Yep. And um, so both of them, so Gan says he mm-hmm. wanted to grow the company. Of course. He co-founded this company with his father and his, his father, father is cool. older. So. Yeah. And uh, Gan was very interested in growing the company, but he didn't know how or how to go about okay. it. So despite being in the business for a long time, yep. he didn't know what his, what his growth areas were and which part of his business was generating most income and that sort of thing. I mean, just, just to stop there, it's amazing for an entrepreneur who's been in the business since year 2000 or, one, or 2001 to be on stage and to admit that I don't know where my hot areas are growth from coming from and who my best customers are. I, I, I actually told the audience to acknowledge his honesty there yeah, that's incredible. because that's incredible. If you think about it, there's definitely other businesses out there with the same problem. Yeah, absolutely. And this is somebody who has acknowledged it and has actually found a way to solve it or yeah. like you know go past it Correct. and uh, for Zihan also her concerns were more about personalizing services for her customers okay. so she runs a restaurant um, and when people come in they will try to remember what sort of diet this person has oh, wow. so if they have like a paleo diet or a vegan yeah. diet they will try to remember and then they will when, when the person comes in they'll yeah. give them that particular menu wow. that suits that person that's super difficult because your your st- you know your frontline waiter stuff exactly. keep changing yeah yes exactly yeah. I, um, yeah, I so I, they, they had it on record at first like written record and yes, all that sort yes. of wait thing. wait they, they had a book yes I uh, she didn't specify exactly how but they had a sort of record and was it like a Facebook that had like pictures well of not <laughs> Facebook but because okay okay just to explain yeah. their restaurant is in Manara Shell okay. so the client the customers that they get the patrons the that the restaurant yeah. is basically the okay. same faces yeah. okay. generally yes, so that context is important okay yes it's very important it's not like my local mama shop right? yeah, yeah, yeah so this is something I had to look up and I understood that ah, after that okay. also okay. Um, so then uh, they, they, they were doing that and then they also later on as they you know they noticed more the same customers kept coming back. Ah, of course. They introduced like a loyalty program mm-hmm. and then they digitali- digitalized their loyalty program okay. as well. Um, and she said that's when things change. She said, mm. uh, based on her own number crunching, uh-huh. she said Copper's performance is about 22% above industry average. This is based on her own numbers. Wow. From from just a, embedding or, or you know, so yeah, data, uh, right? And understand, yeah. Yeah, day to day customers. Wow. Now, now I'm suddenly, do you, it's 20% above because they make more money or yeah. they make more savings? I think in terms of customers that return. Mm. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. So she had to look at day-to-day data and over the years measure which matrix to use and that sort of thing. And the interesting part that I found very interesting was that uh, how they began using data. For Gun, it was simply, you know, he he attended this program, CGP, uh, Cradle's Coach and Grow Program. So he was talking to them and saying, okay, this is what I want to do for my business. And they were telling him, you know what, you don't have any data. You need to have data first before you decide to proceed Make further yeah. so he was like oh my god he went back home and he was in a rut so what he did was he just sat down he said he, uh, he had to go back and he mm. said very humbly accept this hard fact and start from scratch wow. so he sat down he used Microsoft Excel mm-hmm. everybody has that on yeah. their computer to mine data and you know aimed at increasing his customer, mm-hmm. customer base okay. so he said I needed to know which was my fastest growing state in Malaysia yep. which country I exported most to okay. just that sort of thing Correct. 
where am I getting the most value from my transactions? So that's where he started off. Wow. Yeah, and also for them, it's also very important to know exactly which data to measure. Not everything. Every point, yeah. Not every data point, yes, correct. Exactly. And that's something you're gonna learn as you go along, right? You won't know right away. Oh, Gun said this data point was important, and I'm gonna measure that too. Could be seasonality, could be weather. I mean, the thing is, of course, uh, if you're a company and you don't know what data is important you can understand the temptation that I'll just record yeah. everything. everything yeah. But recording everything results in like just Information overload. Yeah, yeah. It's just data that and you cannot And it's also using resources information. that, you know, it's pointless. It's yeah. using too many resources Correct. and your time as well. And you're sifting through so much of data Correct. that you don't actually pinpoint yeah. on what is the most relevant for your company. So, but what key point I want to point out, these are, you know, your average brick and mortar entrepreneurs, right? Not tech savvy at all, but they recognize that somehow, you know, Adding elements of digital, you know, to the business and, and extracting data points is important for their su- further success. And they made the effort. So I think they both admitted it wasn't easy, right? Yeah. But they made the effort. And remember, it's not a technical journey they're taking, right? It's just time commitment, disciplining yourself. Like Gan said, being humble, accepting the fact that you know a lot less about your business than you thought. And just starting from that point of humbleness and having that hunger, I should be able to grow my business and I think this is the way to go. It's, it's a brilliant underlying story yeah. that I mean, every entrepreneur can be inspired by. I mean, if I was in the audience yes. and I was hearing this, I think I, I might have had this revelation perhaps that it's big data isn't about having this big data lake yeah. that you use AI yeah, to exactly. figure things Correct. out. Yeah. It's big, essentially just having data on hand. <laughs> just yeah. having data. It might have a lot of it, but you are very clear yeah. about exactly. what data you need yeah. for what yeah. reason yeah. and how yeah. you're going to use it. And you may not be clear, but you get help from others then, right? Because Gun was in CGP. Actually, both of them were in CGP and they got people to help them. Okay, I've got this data. What do you think? So you can have the data, but then get help from others. And that was a point I made at the conference, right? People should join industry groups and and find organizations like CGP that that are funded by taxpayers' money to help entrepreneurs become better entrepreneurs. Yeah, and uh, from that, I think Hmm. Gun is now seeing the rewards from this data thing that he's they implemented. Both are, yes. Yeah, both of them. And he mentioned, he said he was surprised to find that Sarawak was giving him the second most business okay. in Malaysia. So he has plans of like, you know, the next office he wants to have, he'll have it in East so, Malaysia yeah, because of, of that. Very yeah. good. Invite us during the Gawai ceremony, yeah? We'll have some fun there. <laughs> no work gets done during Gawai. <laughs> <laughs> correct, correct, yeah. Okay, but that's good. So talking about work now, I think we've got just a few short minutes to go. Uh, before we wrap up the show, so I'll, I'll, I'll just talk about uh, IP idiot, and I mentioned them very briefly. They do a yearly report of uh, the various data points that they see from their payment. You know, they they're uh, online. Uh, they provide online payment gateways to companies out there. So a lot of companies use their 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 platform, yeah. And so they, then that gives them the opportunity to look at data that runs across their platform at a granular level. So that's lots of data points. They shared, you can go to DNA and look at a press release that we ran. Huge number of data points, very interesting. Unfortunately, we did not put them in the form of an infographic, which would have lent itself very well, but we didn't have time. And they, they get the data in, in very, you know, a, a table format. Mm-hmm. Uh, in future, we will. But then I also did a story looking at all the data, what's going on here. So the data tells you really three big ten trends. One is that e-commerce is absolutely here to stay. And even Chan Kok Long, the executive director of, of uh, IP88, said that brick and mortar entrepreneurs have to realize that they need to adapt digital, you know, they need to adapt the digital to their business. And in this case, it's e-commerce, yeah. 
find where e-commerce can fit in the business and 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 start you know uh, using it as one of your channels of course e-commerce is only one of the channels right and then you also said that the, another of the data points showed that uh, a lot of Malaysians are accessing e-commerce through uh, mobile mm. there were like uh, uh, 50 million uh, transactions on on mobile uh, 40 million mm. transactions on mobile last year versus 10 million via the desktop so by a factor of three so he said, you got to make sure absolutely that your site is mobile friendly. It's user friendly for someone to you know, have a good experience surfing your site. And the security has to be strong so that people are reassured, right? When they use your site, because that's a lot of traffic just going to one channel, yeah, mobile. And also the other thing that uh, getting to the third key point is that the amount of fraud is amazingly low. I was truly shocked because in 2016, uh, the fraud level from on, only on their platform, right? But which is the main, you know, uh, uh, you know, payment platform for e-commerce in the country. And when I say main, somebody has been asking me, I think they about, they probably control about 60% of the market, if not more. They found that the level of fraud was just 0.03%. Uh, so 0.02% for 2016, which means that it's less than 1%, right? Uh, it's not even 1%, it's less than that. So, and then in 2017, it's 0.03%. And last year, it's 0.02%. So it's like, you know, a, a, a quarter or less than a quarter of 1%. And that was just the number of fraud cases. So that also explains why Malaysians are increasingly, you know, comfortable going on e-commerce. Because you very seldom hear of someone getting ripped off or conned or whatever, right? So maybe social, uh, uh, you know, phishing, you get conned, but that's not e-commerce, right? Just social, you know, using yes. social strategies to get uh, details from you. So... So that's those three points all together point to the fact that e-commerce is here to stay. You gotta get serious about it. And I also got some comments from Dato uh, Michael Kang, who's the president of the Malaysian SME Association. And he looked at these points and he said, Karamjit, uh, you know, uh, the, this shows me that the digital economy in Malaysia is accelerating. And he says that at some point, and he went a step further, and I was surprised. He said, at some point, we're probably going to be a cashless society like China. So that's what interesting. And he said that for this year, his association is going to increase their level of engagement in terms of educating their SMEs that, hey guys and ladies, you got to uh, start looking to adapt, uh, uh, to adopt e-commerce into your business if it suits your business, right? Use it and because it's a channel you must use and promoting that to them. And he thinks that it definitely there'll be more of their members adopting e-commerce this year. And just as a final point, that was if you look at the 2017, 2018, annual report by SME Corporation. There was a part there where they included a, a Malaysian, I think, a, a digital survey, which was done with Huawei and, and some a consortium of universities and together with IDC. They already found that 43% uh, no, of, of SMEs in Malaysia were already adopting SMEs. That's 43.8% yeah, adopting uh, uh, SMEs in Malaysia were already adopting e-commerce, sorry. Mm -hmm. And I bet you uh, by the end of 2019, the, amount, the number is going to be higher, right? It won't, it won't reach to 80, 90, 70% even, but it'll go higher because for some companies, maybe e-commerce doesn't make sense. And maybe just adopting data, right? That's also yeah. digital, makes sense. Adopting some other da uh, uh, data service, you know, to their business makes sense. But for e-commerce, you're going to see going up. And I think anyone who can adopt e-commerce into the business will start doing that. Uh, whether this year or by next year, you're going to see much higher numbers. And that's all good for Malaysia because, you know, entrepreneurs around the world, businesses around the world are already on e-commerce and you can, they're buying and they're selling to consumers in Malaysia, right? So you got to get on board of this, this uh, you know, this wave. Otherwise, you'll get swamped by the wave. So, 
Final point, Denzel. Uh, uh, I guess to say the other half of the equation yeah. is, of course, the more confident businesses are in yeah. in doing e-commerce, e-commerce, the more confidence you would see in consumers as well. Yeah. Because it, it, will, it will be the thing that helps those. Yes, sites. of course, consumers are already way ahead. And one one final data point: the 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 uh, the buck uh, the the ticket size for e-commerce trans per e-commerce transaction was lower by 22% in, I don't remember the absolute number, but it was, it's like 100 over ringgit ticket size. But it's, the 2018 average was 22% lower than 2017. And when I asked Chan from IP88 why this was, he said that that indicates that smaller merchants are now coming online also. Mm-hmm. And of course, then the ticket sizes are smaller, right? And also e-payments, so all those e-wallets, they're also using... Uh, you know, IP88's uh, infrastructure, and you know, of course, by virtue of, of the e, you know e uh, e wallets, those those sizes are smaller, right? Smaller amounts you're paying, so that's why the the ticket size is smaller. If that trend continues, that means even next year for 2019, you're going to see the average ticket size of e-commerce transaction, you know, being lower anyway. But the total amount will go up because there's seven billion for last year versus uh, 4.2 billion the year before. So you absolutely, you know, everyone uh, who's uh, a merchandise has to get into e-commerce to try it out. And with that, you know, that's the end of our show. And we'll see you two weeks from now. You've been listening to Leadernomics FM, the science of building leaders.